Would you turn with me in the scriptures to the New Testament, the book of Hebrews, chapter 13. Hebrews, chapter 13. Way toward the end of the New Testament, page 1,878 in your pew Bibles. 1,878, chapter 13. These are his closing remarks, the writer's closing remarks to this particular letter. Chapter 13, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by so doing some people have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember those in prison as if you were their fellow prisoners, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money, and be content with what you have, because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. And so we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. The word of the Lord. Then, of course, he goes on with all kinds of other closing remarks yet in the remainder of this particular chapter. And it's particularly the last verse that we want to deal with, verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Brothers and sisters in Christ, tonight we have come together, as it were, to formally close out the year with each other and the Lord. And we've already spent some little time sharing some of the things that changed in our lives or in the life of our family or broader community over this past year. And change is a word that can be used to summarize many a year-end review, since really kind of all of life is in a constant state of flux and change. If you think about it, we know that nothing ever really stays the same. Some of you who are older, okay, maybe old, may remember an artist by the name of Bob Dylan. Remember him? You know, the guy who sang. If you probably, if you do, if you remember him, you probably remember one of the songs that included this line. The times they are changing. You know, come senators, congressmen throughout the land, but the times they are changing. Now, one only needs to read any newspaper, magazine, or online summary of the year that has gone by, and one can help but note that this world is a very different place than it was December 31, 2014. Who would have thought at that time, for example, that a liberal government would be in place in Ottawa and virtually every province for that matter? For many a Syrian, uh, what a change in color, even more recently, Canada. What a change in culture and in life for those who are now landing in this part of the world. Those who have suffered the ravages of war or a terrorist, terrorist attack have had their lives changed forever. <clears throat> November 2015, or December 2015, sorry, was the warmest December in some 70 years, we are told. 
the recent global conference in Paris, in Paris vowed to do something about that. 2015 brought many a drone to our skies, so much so that airports and airlines are concerned about their abundance. Meanwhile, virtual reality technology is expanding at a rapid pace, so much so that some have suggested that in 2016, virtual reality will do to our society what the smartphone did when it was introduced. Can't imagine. The point is, politically, socially, in terms of climate, technologically, this world is a changing. The songwriter said, change and decay in all around I see. And then he prays, oh, thou who changest not, abide with me. Indeed. When we look closer to home, we know there's all sorts of changes in our lives, too. You've shared some. We're all a year older, whether we want to admit that or not. Some of us have added a member to our family through birth. <clears throat> that can be a rather challenging experience, to say the least. Quite a number in this fellowship experienced marriage in 2015, and so began a new home. Some of us moved to a new house or a new community. Some of us, as you've mentioned, experienced the heartache of a loss through a death of a family member, a friend, or a neighbor. And every time takes, death takes place, there's this huge change in life, most particularly for those who were the closest to the person who died. Some of us faced broken relationships and the changes and the concerns that such events bring to life. Others have had to face serious illness or surgery, and we're different because of it. Some of you moving from job to job, or looking for work, or retiring, as we heard. Others have finished their studies and begun a career, or others have moved on to another year of school. And so it goes. Our lives, they are changing. We celebrate birthdays, we celebrate anniversaries, 40 years and so, we come to new crossroads in our lives, relationships change, and so on. And so in spite of the fact that the preacher said there's nothing new under the sun, which is not in dispute, nonetheless our lives are, and this world around us is constantly changing. It's everywhere. We can't escape it. But then we do not necessarily have to or even always want to escape it. There are certain changes that we may even welcome in our world or in our lives or in the church. As a matter of fact, we may at times even go out and seek change. Life would be terribly dull, wouldn't it, if it was static. And so we continue to upgrade ourselves in terms of our businesses and our education, our abilities to communicate, our housing, our toys, and so on. We rejoice in our achievements. The church continues to talk about various aspects of ministry and how to do them more effectively and so forth, and that can all be very exciting. But while there are many positive and upbeat changes in life, it's usually the negative, or at least the perceived to be negative changes, that have the greatest impact upon us and the ones that we often remember more. In some ways, you know, if you think about that, that, that makes sense. We're more likely to remember the time when we were cut or when we were injured 
than the time when everything was quite normal. A cut or an injury may leave a scar or a limb, whereas normal health will not leave us with any noticeable effect other than just the normal. It's usually the negative things that happen which have the greatest effect on our relationships with our family members or our neighbors, our fellow church members, even our relationship with the Lord. So it is that a death or a divorce or a bankruptcy or losing our job or a decision by the council of the church with which we happen to disagree can have and usually does have a longer lasting and trying effect on us than perhaps a birthday or an anniversary or a Christmas celebration or such like things. Negative change, at least when we interpret it as negative change, usually had a great and lasting impact on us. And let's face it, in the midst of rapid changes in the world and in our lives, there are those moments in which we are excited. But more than often, there are those moments, and I hear them all the time, maybe because I'm a pastor, so I hear them from a lot of people. There are those moments when we are left bewildered and angry and frustrated and discouraged. And so what will happen in Syria? What's going to happen in some of the troubled spots in the world? How much impact will terror-related activities have on our world? And what about the increased secularization of our society, and of our society particularly in, in Canada? Will there be faith on earth if Jesus were to return in 2016? Will our marriage survive for the year to come? How can we go on without that certain family member who has died? How will things go for us economically in the new year that we didn't do fair very well in 2015 and now we're about to change the calendar? What's going to be different? What will 2016 be like for my own life? For my own struggles? <clears throat> Certainly such thoughts are always, <clears throat> excuse me, are always accentuated as we come to the close of a year. Particularly if we take the time to look back on what was and as we take the time to ponder what might be in store for us in the new year. In the midst of all of this contemplation about what was and about what is to come, the positives and the negatives, I hope you noted from our scripture reading tonight that Christians are people who don't generally go through life dwelling on all the negative things and filled with pessimism about the future. Rather, Christians are people who are filled with encouragement and confidence, knowing that in spite of what is faced here in life, somehow everything finds its place in God's hands. That's precisely the message of the writer of the book of Hebrews. Target audience, audience of Hebrews was mostly Jewish converts to Christianity. These were people who were increasingly feeling the pressure of the Roman Empire that was very much opposed to the Christian faith. I think there's many Christians today in different parts of the world who could understand exactly what the writer of Hebrews was saying. Politically, at that time, things were changing as Jerusalem was headed for the destruction A.D. 70 would bring. 
The church was growing and changing as more and more Jews were converting to Christianity and as other Jews tried hard to combine certain elements of Judaism with the Christian faith. Gentiles were entering the church. The influence of the apostles, meanwhile, was waning as they became older and eventually died. Preachers and leaders came and went as the church became more and more established and more and more vulnerable to persecution and attack both from inside and outside of the body. And it's to such a changing church scene that the words of comfort and encouragement found in the book of Hebrews were written. The basic message in some way of the book is encapsulated in verse 8 of chapter 13. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. And it's interesting to me that while that could be, while verse 8 could be the title of the whole book, instead that little verse is found among a host of other remarks at the end of the book. It's one of those gems usually picked out of the Bible and put on a plaque to be hung on a wall. And it's a text often used to prove that Jesus is God, eternal, unchanging, divine. Of course, all these things are there in verse 8, but the verse really doesn't stand alone. Actually, it ought not to be read without verse 7. And verse 7 is the first of three verses in chapter 13 that speak about church leaders. I don't know if you noticed that. Of course, you wouldn't have noticed because we didn't read the rest of the chapter. But the other two places are in verse 17, where church members are urged to obey their spiritual leaders. And verse 24, where the recipients of the letter are asked to greet their leaders on behalf of the writer. And so these two other references to leaders obviously speak about the leadership of the time, that is, those who are alive. But verse 7 speaks about past leadership. It talks about those who are dead already. Possibly many of those listed in that faith hall of fame as found in chapter 11, or possibly some early apostles or preachers of the word. It's hard to know precisely who was being referred to. Anyway, the people being referred to in verse 7 are people who preach the word of the Lord to the church, and now they're gone. And other people have taken their place. Of course, that's a fact of life in any church. Pastors come and go, generations come and generations go. Now, says the writer, the fact of the matter is that many changes have taken place in the leadership of the church and will take, continue to take place as the Roman Empire tightens its squeeze on the church's throat. More and more leaders and members will become martyrs. They'll give up their life for the faith. Now that is, of course, extremely upsetting news for anyone and to any church, as you can well imagine. Fear, uncertainty, anger over injustice, and an inability to handle the constant changes in their lives grip the early Christians. But following the verse about changes in leaders comes verse 8. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. In this fast-changing world, nothing seems dependable and nothing seems permanent. Leaders come, leaders go, generations change, nations change, our own lives and situations change. True, says the writer, but one 
leader, one person is unchangeable. He is more secure than the most solid rock. He is and always has been available for his people, unlike earthly leaders. He is the anchor that keeps the soul steadfast and sure while the billows roll, as the songwriter put it. And the writer of Hebrews identifies this anchor as none other than Jesus Christ. Verse 8 is, the, is only one of three places in the entire book where the name Jesus Christ is used. Jesus, of course, refers to the work God's Son came to do. As the angel told Joseph, he came to save his people from their sins. Jesus, the Savior, Christ is the title that Jesus received. It expresses that Jesus had been specially anointed. As a matter of fact, he was the anointed one. That's what Christ means. He is God, a member of the Trinity. And because this is so, the writer can quote Psalm 102, verse 27 in Hebrews 1:12, and let it refer to Jesus when he says, but you remain the same and your years will never end. And Jesus also took over the language of Isaiah 48, verse 12, and allowed it to refer to himself in Revelation 1:17, when he said, I am the first and the last. We heard about that when we went through the books in Revelation. The testimony of the Bible is that Jesus Christ is eternal because he is God. The one walking among the seven candlestands is none other than God himself. So God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Then notice the sequence of time in the text, past, present, and future. Yesterday refers to the work Jesus came to do. It refers to the mediatory work of Jesus on earth. In chapter 5, verse 7, there's a record of that. During the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with loud cries and tears to the one who would save from death. Yesterday talks about God's plan of salvation carried out in Jesus' life and death. Today refers to Jesus' present work, namely the ascended Lord representing his people in the presence of God the Father. And as he speaks on our behalf, he does that as one who, says chapter 4, four verse 15, is able to sympathize with us fully in terms of our weakness because he was tempted in every way just as we are and have been. Yesterday spoke about what Jesus did. Today speaks about a presently living and active Jesus who is not dead but very much alive forever, as a matter of fact. And that brings us to the future. As a high priest, as the high priest, this is chapter 7, verse 25. He always lives to intercede for his people. He is priest forever because he is God. Chapter 7, verse 24. But because Jesus lives forever, he has a permanent priesthood. How wonderful is our Lord. The same yesterday, 
today and forever. And because this is true, it means that as believers, we can depend on him absolutely. And surely that's got to be wonderful news in the midst of a world that is a-changing. As we're about to end 2015 and enter 2016, we know that change is everywhere, and we're affected by it, whether we like it or not. At times we may embrace it, at times we may be confused or frustrated by it, at times we may feel helpless to do anything about it, and at times all the change may leave us sad and uneasy. But when we open the scriptures to this particular passage of scripture, we are reminded that we don't need to walk into 2016 filled with hopelessness or fear or desperation or anything of the sort. After all, God is still on the throne and he is the Lord of history. God's plan of salvation is continuing and it will be brought absolutely to completion. We know that to be true because in a world that's changing, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's the anchor that keeps the soul steady and sure while the billows roll. He's our fortress, he's our rock, and there is nothing and no one who can dethrone him. Knowing that, knowing this, we can surely have a happy new year. Amen. Father in heaven, we praise you that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. And tonight, as we end this year together in your name, we do so very much aware of the fact that the times, they are changing. Oh, there's so much change. Some of it scares us. Some of it entices us. Some of it worries us. Some of it gives us great joy. Some of it leaves us filled with wonder. Oh Lord, we thank you that in the midst of that world that's a changing, you are the same Lord and the same God. And we praise you for that. And so, Lord, as we walk into a new year, a year that we have absolutely no idea what it will have in store for us, we do know, Lord, that it's a year that will be undergirded by you, by your power. And we thank you also, O Lord, that we may know that history is heading to that day when the plan of salvation will be made complete and Jesus will come again. And so even as we end this year, we pray, come, Lord Jesus, come, bring in your kingdom in all of its fullness. To you be the glory. To you be the honor. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.